In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I'm very happy to be with the youth of this blessed diocese, and I'd like to thank His Eminence Metropolitan Srabion and His Grace Bishop Abraham and His Grace Bishop Karelos for giving me the opportunity to meet with all of you. And also I thank the blessed fathers of the clergy in this blessed diocese that they allowed me to discuss with you this very important topic that actually we face it every day now in our service. I like to start first by speaking about the church and homosexuality. In order to address this subject, we need actually to answer a very important question. What is the reference for the truth? What do I mean by this? If some people said it is alternative lifestyle, some people say it is sin, some people say no, it's not sin, it is just illness. So we have different opinions. All these opinions cannot be true at the same time because they are contradicting opinion. How we can reach the truth? Of course, we believe that the Holy Scripture is inspired by God, and the Holy Scripture is the breath of God. It is the Word of God. So the Holy Scripture should be the ultimate authority, the ultimate revelation of the truth. Especially in John chapter 14 and verse 6, the Lord spoke about himself that the truth is found in him, in John 14, verse 6. The realm of truth in the scripture covers sexual behavior too. Like, for example, Ephesians chapter 4, St. Paul spoke about sexual immorality. Romans chapter 1, many, many verses in the scripture. Why we say that the scripture of the Lord Jesus Christ actually is the ultimate truth? Because by the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, he proved to the whole world that he is the absolute truth. We never heard about somebody rose by himself, by his own authority, from death. So, the Lord Jesus Christ, by virtue of his resurrection, provides the ultimate demonstration of the truth. Not only he is the truth, but also he is the judge, as we read in Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed, he, God the Father, has appointed a day on which he, God the Father, will judge the world in righteousness by the man, the Jesus Christ, whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. God is a judge. And God is the truth. And God told us about the truth about sexual behavior in the scripture. So if I followed any other principle that is not biblical, that's not matching with the truth that's revealed in the scripture, then I will be in big problem in the last day of judgment. Because who will judge me? God who revealed to us the truth in the scripture. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 19, we know that the truth is revealed in the law and the prophets, Old Testament. And the Lord Jesus Christ said about himself, I am the truth. And he said about the Holy Spirit in John 16, he is the spirit of the truth. And the scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And also, the truth is revealed to us through the Apostles, which is the New Testament. 
like in John 2,000 years ago he said something and now he's saying something different. God is not an author of confusion. But unfortunately, some human spirits are yielding to the societal pressures and they just want to give it a religious dimension. But this is the spirit of deception. They are deceived. That is the first important point I want to make sure all of us will agree on it. In order to discuss not only the issue of same-sex attraction, but any subject, we have actually to agree what is the truth, what is the reference that you are basing your claim upon. So we should agree together that the scripture, the church, the holy tradition is our ultimate reference because it is the breath of God, the word of God. Having said this, then how the church deals with the homosexuals? Here actually, I like to start by saying one of the beautiful quotes by St. John Chrysostom. He said, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for the saints. And all of us who are sinners, if anyone among us is not a sinner, he can raise his hand. None. If St. Paul said about himself, I am the chief among sinners, all of us are sinners, but we are walking in the journey of repentance. That's why when we are speaking about people who are suffering from same-sex attraction, are we judging them? No, we are not judging them. Because who am I to judge others? And we need to differentiate between three words. Discernment, judging, and condemnation. Discernment, judgment, and condemnation. Discernment actually is a sign of spiritual maturity. As St. Paul in Hebrews chapter 5, he said in verse 14, but solid food belong to those who are of full age. Full age means mature. That is, those by reason of use 
have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The ability to say this is wrong and this is right, based on the scripture and the word of God, this means you are spiritually mature, spiritual maturity. So discernment is a virtue. That's why the Lord told us, beware of false teachers. Then here, I have to make a discernment. This teaching is false. This teaching does not match the word of God. And when St. Paul said, bad company corrupt good moral, means I have to discern whether this is a good company or bad company. So discernment in itself is a virtue. When we say according to the teaching of the scripture, homosexuality is sin, we are not judging anybody here, but we are saying what the truth says about homosexuality. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? It's a sign of spiritual maturity. Judgment is different when we judge the person in himself. We say he is an evil person. This is a sin. Because if I'm struggling with lying, struggling with anger, if I'm struggling with same-sex attraction, maybe I'm living the life of repentance, and God is accepting my repentance, and God covers me with his righteousness, and I am in the eyes of God, I am a righteous person in spite of the struggle because I'm living the life of repentance. Like, do you know the story of the sinful woman in the house of Simeon? Simeon judged her and he said, she is a sinner. And he judged the Lord Jesus Christ if he is a prophet. But the Lord looked at the same person and he says, yes, she's a sinner, but her many sins are forgiven because she loved much. And since her many sins are forgiven, then she is righteous. Righteous in the eyes of God. When I say same-sex attraction is sin, that's discernment. But if I say this person is a sinner, or this person is an evil person, that is judgment, and it is a sin, and this needs repentance. The condemnation is to take this into a third level. When we say, for example, this person is a sinner and he should not take communion, or he should not serve as a deacon, or she should not serve as Sunday school teacher. So here, actually, I am condemning this person and saying what he is worthy of and what he is not worthy of. Of course, when a Buddha in the church or a spiritual father say to somebody, you cannot take communion for one week, one month, or whatever, or you need to take a retreat and some time off from serving, he is not condemning them. That's a therapeutic help. A Buddha here, using his authority that's given to him by the Holy Spirit, to give a discipline or a spiritual exercise to help this person in his repentance. As St. Paul did in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 with the sinner at the city of Corinth. So there is a big difference between me as a person saying, oh, how this person takes communion, he should not take communion. This condemnation. Or between a spiritual father giving the right medicine to his spiritual children and I used the word medicine or therapeutic because any discipline should have a therapeutic goal, the healing of the soul. People who refuse to repent or when they don't want to repent, when you speak to them about their sins and you want to help them to repent, they usually use the word don't judge. But again, I'm not judging. I am trying to help this person to start the journey of repentance. This happened even with Lot himself. In Genesis chapter 19, in verse 9, see how the people actually spoke about Lot. 
they said, stand back. Then they said, this one, Lot, came in to stay here. And he keeps acting as a judge. So they are telling him, don't judge us. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And the funny thing here, while they are telling him, don't judge us, they are judging him. The person who tells you, don't judge, he's judging you. And here the judgment is judgment by the word of God, because it is the word of God that says he is right or wrong, or this practice is right or wrong. But some people who refuse repentance, they are trying to avoid the judgment of the word of God by condemning the messenger. They try to avoid the the judgment of the message, the word of God, by condemning the messenger, as happened with Lot. So when we point out to the people whom we really love and we want to care about them, what the word of God says about certain conduct, we are not judging them. But this is discernment and this is the word of God that actually says whether it is right or wrong. Now we understood where the truth comes from and when we address this issue, are we judging people or are not judging people? Then how the church actually deals with the homosexual or people suffer from same-sex attraction? Let me give you an example of a person suffer from a sin like lying. Because it is the same principle, there is no one principle for same-sex attraction and other principle for lying. It's the same principle. If a person comes to the church and say, I suffer from lying, and I know it is a sin, can you help me? And the church, through Abuna, through the servants, help this person how to overcome the sin of lying. And he may fall again and repent, and may fall again and repent, fall again and repent, because repentance is a lifelong journey. The church will accept this person because he is living the life of repentance. The church does not excommunicate this person. No. The church allows him to serve and to partake of the mysteries and the sacraments. Again, who among us is not struggling with anything in his life? All of us are struggling with weaknesses in our life. But if this person comes to the church and says, lying is not a sin. Lying actually is a virtue. Lying, we should celebrate lying. And we should make a certain month in which we celebrate lying. And we should teach the people the art of lying. This would be very helpful for them. They can avoid many problems in their life when they lie. What do you think? How the church should deal with such a person? The church may tell them, because we love you, you need actually to have time with yourself to see your beliefs are right or wrong, true or false. Based on what? Again, what is the reference as I started? The word of God. Based on the word of God. And maybe the church will not allow him to be among the community of the believers, although the church will follow up with this person to help him to repent and correct these wrong beliefs. As St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in order to protect the children from the deception of Satan. Because this person who is celebrating lying can deceive weak people. As St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly are unleavened. So, St. Paul saying, 
this person who is celebrating lying or glorifying in lying, as he said actually in verse 6, your glorying is not good. So this person actually who is glorifying lying and celebrating lying can be a living in the lump and spread this deception among the community of the believers. That's why St. Paul said, purge out the old living that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. The church again is a hospital for the sinners. For the hospital, for the sinners who want to get treated, who want to get healed, we cannot close the church in front of any person who wants to repent and to be healed. But if a person went to the hospital and he told them, no, my cancer is not illness, you're wrong. You should celebrate cancer. And I'm here actually to speak to all the patients that the medicine is wrong about cancer. They will ask him, why are you here? Hospital is a place for treatment. So the church is a place for treatment. If a person with same-sex attraction comes to the church for the right reason to repent and to get help, the church definitely will open the door for this person and embrace him with love and compassion because all of us are sinners. All of us. But if the person comes here to get an approval for the sin from the church or to celebrate or to glory in a sinful action as a person wants to celebrate lying. So if a person comes and he wants to celebrate same-sex marriage and to be prideful and celebrating a whole month and taking pride that he is living this lifestyle, then the church tell him it's a hospital hospital for the sinners as the Lord said I did not come to call righteous but I came to call sinners the whole do not lead a physician but a sinner those who are seeking approval and blessing for a sinful life they are not yet ready to be in the church but the church should follow up with them to help them to correct their wrong beliefs. But those who are seeking repentance, they should focus on the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church should actually show them and manifest to them this love and this acceptance. Because the church again should be a therapeutic community, as the Lord Jesus Christ did with the sinful woman in the house of Simeon Zephyrus. So it is our responsibility to show love and acceptance for the repentant from any sin, from any person who is struggling but living the life of repentance. As St. Paul, after this man that he excommunicated in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, this person actually repented. Do you know what St. Paul told the church in Corinth when he repented? He told them in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, You ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. That's why we need to change and transform our churches to be a place of healing, a therapeutic place, a hospital for healing and repentance, not a place of condemnation. Maybe somebody will tell me, you spoke to us about the truth, but what about love? What about love? How can we balance between truth and love. Actually, there is no contradiction between truth and love. Because the Lord said about himself, I am the truth. And also, we know in the scripture, God is love. 
So if God is love and God is the truth, then there is no contradiction between love and truth. But I'm not going to define what love is. But actually, I will tell you what love is not. Because many people are deceived by the definition of love. Love is not approval of sinful life. Love is not approval and blessing of sinful life. Love is not not interested and caring about the person and his eternity. If I love a person truly, I should care about his eternity and his salvation. If I don't care about his eternity and salvation, then I don't love this person. And not only about eternity, but even about his life here on earth. Because people who are living a sinful life, whether it is lying or same-sex attraction, and not living the life of repentance, they suffer. Believe me, they suffer. And from their own mouth, from their own testimony, especially people who repent and return back to God, and when they share the time when they were away like the prodigal son, they share how they suffer physically, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. Love is to care and to correct the deception of the devil and the misleading information. The devil has three titles from the scripture. And these three titles are the tools that he is using to attack us. He is the deceiver, he is the tempter, and he is the accuser. And these three titles are in the scripture. The deceiver makes you believe a lie. He is a liar and father of every lie. Then after he makes me to believe a lie, then he tempts me with this lie. And after he tempts me and I fall in sin, he runs and accuses me before God. We read in the book of Revelation, he accuses us day and night before God. A deceiver. He, he, he used to this with our mother Eve. He made her to believe a lie that God doesn't want their best interest. He told her, if you eat from this tree, you will be like God, and God doesn't want you to be like him. And after he made her believe the lie, he tempted her. She looked at the fruit, she found the fruit no, good in her eyes. And then he accused her before God. And the same technique he is using it with any sin and with the sin of sin-sex attraction. He deceives us. When actually I hear all the misleading information around us, I grieve in my heart to see how Satan is actually misleading the people. He's deceiving the people. And then he's tempting them to fall in sin. And then he will stand before God to accuse them day and night. So love is to care about people and to correct the deception of Satan and the misleading information and to reveal and to reaffirm the truth that what love is. Love is to give people hope and support that they can overcome any weakness in their life and they can live victorious in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can do all things in Jesus Christ who strengthens me. The Lord said in John chapter 10, I have come to give them life and to give it to them more abundantly. So love is how to help the people to live the abundant life, the better life for which the Lord came. Love, as the Lord said, he who loves me obey my commandment. So love is to obey the truth in the scripture. Love also has a corrective nature in it. You correct those who are walking in the wrong way. If somebody is traveling by driving 
And for example, he wants to drive from here to Florida. And instead of driving east, he starts to drive north. If you love this person, you will tell him you are driving in the wrong direction. You need to correct your way. Is this judgment? No. Is this discernment? Yes. Are you wrong? Does this mean you don't love this person because you told him you are going in the wrong direction? You need to correct your way? No. Actually, that's a real love. If you don't tell him this, then you don't love him. So if we love people who suffer from any sin or struggle with any sin, love has a corrective nature in it. And one of the very beautiful verses that actually make the balance between truth and love in Ephesians chapter 4, when St. Paul said, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Many examples in scripture, how the Lord said the truth in a loving way to the Samaritan woman. Even to Simeon, when the Lord wanted to correct him, he gave him a parable in order to tell him it is wrong to judge this lady. So the Lord actually spoke the truth and love to Simeon, the Pharisee. And he spoke the truth and love to the sinful woman in his house. He spoke the truth and love to the woman that was caught in action. He spoke the truth and love to the thief on the cross. He spoke the truth and love with Matthew, the tax collector, before his conversion. So, here actually, we need to balance between the truth and love. Somebody would ask me, okay, since you speak about truth and love, can I befriend them and be close to them to show them love? And here, there is a very important question. What is the goal of my friendship with him. What is the goal? We read in the book of Proverbs chapter 13, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Proverbs 13.20 I need actually to think about the person who suffered from same-sex attraction. In which category he is? Are those who are defending and celebrating same-sex attraction and prideful of it as alternative lifestyle? That's one group. Second group, he knows it's sin, but he is not willing to repent. Many people know what they are doing is wrong. Heavy smokers, they know it's wrong. People who abuse drugs or alcohol or gambling, they know it's wrong. But sometimes, for one reason or another, they don't want to repent. Maybe because of the addictive nature, the pleasure they get from this. And the third group, people who are admitting it is a sin and trying to repent. They are living the life of repentance. So here, there are three groups. First group, people celebrating sin, glorifying their sins, prideful in their sin. Or people, he knows it's sin, but they don't want to repent. And the third group, people who actually, they live in the life of repentance. Then, I need actually to ask myself, is this friendship edifying for both of us or not? Maybe the person, like a person who is drowning, and he needs help, but I don't know how to rescue him. I don't know how to swim. So if I try to help him, both of us will drown. That's why St. Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he said, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Maybe this friendship will not be helpful to the other person or to me. Am I spiritual, as St. Paul said, and have the spirit of gentleness, and I will consider myself 
while helping this person, lest I myself be tempted? Is this friendship edifying for me and for him or not? The Bible tells us in Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. In friendship, there is rebuke, there is wounds, because sometimes when I love the other person and I lead him to repentance, this doesn't mean I will accept all the behavior, I tolerate all the behavior without any intervention. This is not the friendship that the Bible speaks about. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And if this relationship or friendship can affect me negatively, as St. Paul said in First Corinthians chapter 5, a small living can leaven the whole lump, then I need to be careful. Many fathers interpreted the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. They said, your eye is your friend. If your friend causes you to sin, pluck it out, means stay away from him. Because bad company corrupt good morals. But what about how to care about people suffer from same-sex attraction in the work room? Many times, my co-worker or a student with me in school, he actually clearly claims he is homosexual and takes pride in this. St. Paul actually answered this question in First Kings chapter 5, starting from verse 9, when he said, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. So St. Paul said, don't keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet, I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world. Otherwise, you would need to go out of the world. Then when St. Paul said, don't keep company with the sexually immoral, he speaks about believers. If a brother, brother means a believer. Now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. Named a brother means a believer who is sexually immoral or covetous or idolater, etc. St. Paul said, when I am working or neighborhood or in school, I will find people around me who are not living by the biblical truth. So how actually I care about them? Because we love everyone. We don't only love the believers. We love everyone. I will give you some hints how to care about people with us in a school or in work, those who are not believers, those who are not believers. Number one, actually, train yourself to see him as a person, not as a homosexual. This person actually suffers from fears, hopes, needs. So look beyond that he is a homosexual, but look at the whole person. When you think of him as a person who struggles with sexual immorality, then you will not be angry at him. You will not be displeased with him. Yes, we are displeased with sin. We are angry at sin, but not at the persons. And that's what the Lord said with the woman that was put in action. Also, be patient. Maybe now they are refusing because they are deceived. They are refusing to repent. But believe me, most of them have been wounded. There is a, a trauma, some sort of trauma, that made them choose this lifestyle. Maybe trauma by family members, peers. They cannot deal with another rejection. You need to show them grace, forbearance. 
and a forgiving attitude and to be patient with them. Also, if you opened a dialogue with you about homosexuality, try to change the subject into the relationship with God. Why I'm saying this? Once they start to have relationship with God and abide by the truth, then the word of God, which is like a mirror, as St. James said, will help them to see the weakness or the struggle or the sin that they are celebrating. And this will be a turning point. But if you want to discuss homosexuality with them and they don't abide by the truth in the scripture, you are wasting your time. But if you talk to them about their relationship with God and the authority of the scripture, which include actually, as I said, the truth in scripture speak about sexuality, then the person gradually, gradually will move in the direction of repentance. So point your co-worker or the other student who comes and talk with you, point him to the Lord Jesus Christ. How to build a relationship with the Holy Trinity. Rather than just saying your lifestyle is wrong, change to be heterosexual. He cannot make this change unless he has a relationship with God that will help him to make this transformation. Also, don't expect that you know all the answers. If he comes and asks you a question and you don't know the answer, then you can tell him, I will try to find out and get back to you. So don't make up an answer or agree on something without having enough information about it. If the co-worker knows it is a sin and he is trying to change, give them hope through the relationship with God and through the sacramental life of the church, then they can overcome any weakness in their life. I can do all things in Jesus Christ who strengthens me. With all of this, all of this point, you need to pray and pray and pray. As St. Monica prayed for her son, Augustine, that's why we call St. Augustine as the son of the tears. The tears of his mother led him to repentance. But while I'm saying all of this, I want to tell you about a very important principle which is the principle of not enabling, not enabling. In the story of the prodigal son, if the father said, I will send him some food, I will send him some money, when he lost all his money, and he was even hungry for the pots of the swine, and nobody gave him, this son would not have returned. But when the father decided not to send him money, not to send him food, he returned. Sending him money or food, that's what we call enabling. Enabling means empowering him in the wrong direction. Empowering him in the sinful way. So we should be careful not to enable, not to empower people in the wrong direction. So another question, can I have just a pure loving friendship with why St. Paul said, uh, don't keep company with sexually immoral people. Just, I, I, I want to, to have a pure loving friendship. The pure loving friendship shouldn't be sexual, shouldn't be romantic, shouldn't be dependable, and shouldn't be against the word of God, the truth revealed in the scripture. True friendship according to the verses in the scripture, but it is yeah, difficult, it needs time to mention all the verses in the scripture about friendship, but there are 15 qualities for a true friendship. Loving, respectful, positive influence, forgiving, reliable, 
willing to make sacrifice, loyal, inspirational, exercise self-control, visionary, supportive, non-judgmental, trustworthy, cooperative, and exercise wisdom. So all these are qualities for a pure loving friendship. And we have pure loving friendship in the Bible between like David and Jonathan. This is an example of a pure loving friendship. So the key here in this friendship should be edifying to the spiritual life of both persons and caring for their eternal life. Any friendship does not care my, about my eternal life and edifying spiritually and emotionally and psychologically to both persons, then it is not a pure loving friendship. Love, actually, in the Greek, there are four words for love. Eros, eros is a selfish love. It's carnal, it's sexual love. Eros receives only. Philia, it is mutual love, like love between close friends. Storge is the love of the family relationship. Sometimes when I see a person, I never met him before, and then I know that he is related to me, he is my second cousin. Immediately I, I feel there is a bond. This bond is called story. But the highest form of love is the agape love. This is the love that St. Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He mentioned in Galatians chapter 5 as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And this word used by the Lord Jesus Christ, the agape love, in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. So to have loving relationship, it should be agape. Agape is actually unconditional love, sacrificial love, and limitless love. But it is caring love. Caring love. That's why it's sacrificial love. And it's not dependable. That's why it is unconditional. And it is even for the enemies. Love your enemies. Love here is not emotion. Love is an action. If your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he is thirsty, give him drink. So to have a pure loving relationship, I need to put all these definitions about agape love in my mind. Another question about how I deal with the pressure from the LGBTQ plus community. Sometimes we are pressured, whether in school or in work, to celebrate this sin. So how can I deal with this? You need to explain what you can do and what you cannot do. And you need to demand respect for your integrity. Also, you need to use your constitutional rights. There is an important question. Are we willing to suffer loss for witnessing for Christ? Are we willing to suffer loss for witnessing for the truth? To stand against sin or not? Unfortunately, some of us who are not willing to do this. We want, yes, we know the truth, but we are afraid to say it, best get persecuted. But the Lord told us, the world doesn't love you, because you are not of this world. See what the world dealt with me, Jesus Christ. If he did this with me, then don't be surprised if he do the same with you. And another person asked the question, is this a loving God who excludes me, a person who is taking pride in homosexuality, to exclude me from his flock? When St. Paul said, remove the living from among you, or purge the living from among you, or don't keep company, is this a loving God who excludes us from his flock. So again, what love is? Love actually is to seek the best interest of the person. God is our creator. 
and he knows the best for us. That actually did not exclude the LGBT community, but they chose to act against the truth. They chose to take pride and to celebrate sin that God condemned. So they separated themselves. It's not God who drove them away. We are all sinners, and we all need the grace of God. And the fact that somebody tells me, you are wrong, this actually doesn't make me worse than him, or he is better than me, or helping one another. So when God tells me, you are wrong, he is our creator, he is the judge. If the word of God tells me I am wrong, he is the judge, he does my best interest. Don't believe Satan. As he said to our mother Eve, God doesn't want your best interest. Yes, many researches, and actually if anybody want to, to know, I have references here to all the, the researches. If anybody want to, to send him these researches, I will tell you. But these are some damages that happen to the LGBT community. Loneliness and suffer from many diseases, sexually transmitted diseases, at least AIDS. They become dependable on drugs. Suicide, cancer caused by the AIDS and other sexually transmitted diseases. Depression. These people actually, they suffer. Satan actually is torturing them. And God, when he tells them, you need to repent, you need to return back, because God wants their best interest. But we are sorry that they are deceived by Satan. They are deceived by Satan. So I hope in, in this discussion, I addressed some questions that occupy our mind about love and truth. Am I judging them? How I deal with my co-workers or students in school, how I deal with the pressure from the LGBTQ community about friendship. So I hope yeah, this lecture covered some of, of your question about this very important topic. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.